Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson. I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we made it. We, <laughs> we did it. We survived the deadline. It went very well. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling really good. Um, I'm especially proud of you know the model and the work we did. And I think we got a lot of them right, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but I feel great. It's now ah, it's time to relax and kind of look back on what happened. Yes, it's it's a much much needed respite from a pretty hectic couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so so as John mentioned, this is going to be a bit of a different episode for us. We're not following the usual news, then trade of the week, then main main topic. Uh, we're not following that schematic this week. Um, instead, we're just going to kind of recap the entire deadline <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna go over how exactly our model did what we missed on what we got um we're gonna talk about the biggest trades we're gonna talk about some of the trends and then toward the end of the show we'll kind of go deal by deal not quite rapid fire but we'll run through them um all of the significant trades from the last few days and just kind of what the values say what we think of the deal and uh yeah so i think this will be a pretty fun little recap a pretty a nice way to put a bow on trade season and on uh, on what we think was a pretty solid trade season. So let's just go ahead and start, like I mentioned, with how we did. So John put this up in an article uh, just, just on Tuesday, our trade deadline analysis, and <laughs> we did pretty well this time around. I'm, I'm proud of us. Uh, John, I'm sure you're proud of us. Yeah. Bit of a pat on the back for this time around. I have to say, yeah, our, our main goal this this year was to continue to refine the model, get it right. You know, whenever we were in the past, when we first started, we got a few things wrong. We said, what happened? And we took a closer look and we said, oh, okay. And this, tweak this, tweak that. And each time we did that, it got better and better. And now we're at a point where we think, I think anyway, it's it's really rolling. I think it's going really well. I mean, we might tweak a tiny bit here and there, but but it's uh, fundamentally, it's very sound, I think, and the, and the results show that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there was only one trade this deadline that was flat out rejected by the model, and we'll definitely mm-hmm. get into that a little later. Um, but thanks a lot, AJ. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and he has his reasons, which we understand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so only one that was flat out rejected. We had a handful. I, w- I want to say two or three, maybe four, that we saw as moderate overpays, mm-hmm. and then another handful that were minor overpays, and a whole bunch that were right on the mark. Especially two really big ones in yeah. Clevenger and Starling Marte, which we're very proud of. Starling Marte was that that one was something special. Um, well, <laughs> That's like twice I, like I we've said, got a Marte, a Starling Marte trade right on the money. <laughs> yes, that one felt real good. It was yeah. to the to the tenths place uh-huh. on how perfect the uh, we we had both Starling Marte. Um, who was traded from the D-backs to the Marlins, and Caleb Smith, who was the primary piece of that return. We had both of them at $21.2 million. Exactly. Yep, that feels <laughs> and good. So, and so when, when Smith is the first name that comes out, and I'm frantically opening up the simulator, popping it in, seeing if it's even, and I see that they are exactly even, God, that put a smile on my face for <laughs> me too for a little bit. And then the, the two secondary pieces reportedly are very minor. We had yeah. them at, I believe, 0.9 and 0.1. So That's it's, right still nearly identical right that was a good one and i have to so share an anecdote um so on the clevenger trade when those were names were starting to float out in reports on twitter 
I'm starting to add them up as well. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, Tre- Clevenger at 38, and then okay, here's a 12, here's a six, and you know, and so on. And then I realized they're getting very close, and and we got them up to like 34 against 38, and then I realized well, I had Arius down as um, Rule Five eligible, which we dock about 30% of the value for, but. Cleveland's going to put them on the 40. Once they do, it comes up right at 38. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling good about that one as well. Yeah, yeah. That one, <laughs> it's it's a different thing. It's a different experience, um, the trade deadline, working for the site than it ever was before. Um, before the trade deadline, you're kind of uh, – or before – sorry, excuse me, before baseball trade values, um, I would enjoy the hell out of the trade deadline just kind of as a spectator. And it was, I want to see the most bonkers deal <laughs> I can see. That's, <laughs> it's, it's fun when there's prospects and big names flying in every direction. Yeah. And it's not to say that it isn't fun now, but there's some fear there as well. <laughs> when, when you're seeing the names come out for Clevenger and – so so mainstream speculation was all about oh can they get Mackenzie Gore can they get Abrams and yeah. we we were pretty confident from the start that those guys are both off limits for Clevenger the values yeah. just weren't lined up at all um, but then you get into that kind of second tier there with Luis Camposano young catcher is one of the guys I had identified as this he could be a fit here as like the centerpiece here he's he, i think he was at we have him at like 28 mil or something in that range low and 30s so actually a, yeah, yeah low 30s so that's a, that's a solid centerpiece for clevenger and that was kind of the name that i had in the back of my mind and so as the reports coming out that oh it's uh, i'm good lord i'm blanking on the Naylor names. and hedges it's, and it's, uh, yes. arias and Naylor, hedges those names come out Arius, um, uh, I'm trying to fit a little behind the scenes Cal here. I have Quantrill. About, yes, uh, Cal Quantrill. That's the one I was yep. thinking of. Um, behind the scenes here, I have like 40 tabs open with all yep. these trades. So apologies if there's any uh, any lags in it in that. But um, as I'm seeing those names come out, I'm like, okay. But I'm like, okay, when's the shoe going to drop? I'm terrified mm. that it's going to be these names and Campusano. Yeah, and right. That it's gonna, especially with what Preller did to us the night before. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh Lord, come on, come on, and then it, yep. it never dropped. And yep. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some Cleveland fans that are wishing that the Campusano part had had been a shoe to drop, but like, it, it, we as as we've said, we had it as an almost identical match, and I, I couldn't be happier. Me too. Yeah, that one felt really good. Um, and, uh, you know, what we also noticed is that our users are sort of playing the same game. And so as soon as the trade is announced, mm-hmm. they put it up on our site, even sometimes before we can. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, OK, yeah. <laughs> and because um, they want to see, too. And that's part of the fun. Yeah. And what was really difficult about this time around was um, something we mentioned would be a possibility. And it ended up definitively it, it happened was all the players to be named later. Um that makes it a little hard when it's like, okay, the news just dropped that David Phelps was traded to the Phillies. And it's okay. Okay, he's going for, for three players back, and they're all players to be named later. We have no idea if it's a fair deal or not. And maybe that's not as big of a deal with David Phelps. We had him at $2 million in trade value. So generally, three players to be named later, they're all going to be 
under a mil if we don't we didn't have the three of them in the in the system um so they're all gonna most likely add up to be a fair deal for phelps but some of the other deals were kind of contingent on players to be named later there was the mike minor deal and we're, we're getting the information very slowly trickling in some of these players we haven't found out the identities of yet and so that was definitely um a pretty big challenge this time around yeah and you know obviously you know that's the nature of the beast with this deadline because you know you could only trade prospects that were on your 60 uh your 60 man pool and so if they weren't they have to be ptpnls but some leaks came in like in the minor trade mm-hmm. we found out who they were a couple other cases as well so and still they worked out so for the most part it was good to see mm-hmm. so i think I think now let's just head into those those two Padres deals that we really want to dive into. Um, we discussed the Clevenger trade briefly before, but uh, just so we have it all laid out here, we had Clevenger at $38.4 million, Greg Allen, outfielder, at $0.5 million, and a player to be named later who we haven't yet found out the identity of. So those were the that's the three players headed from the Indians to the Padres. And in exchange, the Padres sent back Shortstop Gabriel Arias, who we mentioned before, who we had at 7.9 million, and then we've since adjusted him back up for um, uh, the 40-man adjustment, the Rule 5 adjustment that John mentioned. Outfielder Josh Naylor, 7.2 million. Lefty Joey Cantillo, 6.0 million. Righty Cal Quantrill, 5.9 million. Infielder Owen Miller, 5.4 million. million. And catcher Austin Hedges, 2.2 million. And so... It's a very much quantity over quality return for Cleveland, which I think was a little bit surprising. Yeah. You know, and I mentioned the point in my article that Clevenger was a little bit of a damaged goods case. You know, he was obviously on the outs in the doghouse after that whole COVID violation and then lying about it. And, you know, the Indians clearly pride themselves on their, you know, culture and all of that. So in that sense, you know, it's not like they were shopping a guy that had no no black marks on him, right? And the second yeah. thing is, he wasn't always pitching that well, especially this year, and he was coming off a knee injury. So most of his value was in his track record. You know, you, you still had it in him. It was a short sample, small sample size. But, you know, because of those things, I don't know how picky they could be, in other words, with all their offers. And, you know, they may have demanded more sort of blue chip prospects, but because of that, maybe they couldn't get them. And, you know, they're also kind of a... Uh, an organization that develops very well. So you can see them developing Cantillo and Quantrill, for example, because they seem to have just this incredible pitching development machine, you know, so, you know, they can probably they have a lot of confidence that they can take some quantity guys that are sort of second tier guys and develop into the next Savali or Plesak. So I think they felt like it was probably the best deal they could make. And they probably wanted to move Clevenger for cultural reasons. So there you go. I think it, and it worked and certainly worked for Preller's uh, AJ Preller of the, of the Padre standpoint, because what he's trying to do, and this is a general theme is he's got a big roster crunch. He had a whole bunch of prospects that were burning a hole in his pocket. A lot of them, you see this theme, a lot of them needed to be added to the 40 or, or else they were in danger of being lost in the rule five draft. Arias was one of them. There were several others in other trades as well. So, and, and he just, there's only, you know, he was sitting on this huge 
asset base of prospects for quite a while over the last couple of years. And it comes a time where you just got to move them because you can't put them everywhere as they kind of rise up through the system. It's either up or out. And you can't, if you can't fit them in your roster, so you have to consolidate. So what he's doing is saying, here's six of them that I may not be able to fit in. And Cleveland's saying, okay, because <laughs> we've got a guy that we got to get rid of anyway. So, and yeah. you know, but there's quality to some degree on both sides, you know, but it, it works out for both those reasons. Mm-hmm. And, beyond just those prospects they've got some young major leaguers guys that have graduated that they haven't been able to or have kind of chosen not to give a full opportunity and i'm thinking mainly of josh naylor and cal quantrill there where they've been a little blocked they haven't really gotten a full opportunity to show whether they're whether they're or the real deal or not and they were also clogging a 40-man spot. Now, they were they were taking up that 40-man spot with some value, but Josh Naylor was never going to start in San Diego with the roster currently constructed. Um, he's going to start, presumably, every day for Cleveland because their outfield is yikes. Um, right. <laughs> I, think, I saw a lot of people kind of questioning the Josh Naylor fit specifically, saying Cleveland's number one need was offense in the outfield. And yeah, Josh Naylor is offense in the outfield embodied but uh, the defense is a little questionable and they just wonder if if cleveland could have gotten a a bit more talented of an outfielder as a centerpiece um considering that they're at the top of their division right now they're fighting for that number one spot in the central they're a good team and this is the second year in a row that they've (laughs) traded one of their top starters to try and address other needs on the roster the difference is, last time it got them Fran Mil Reyes, who slotted directly into their lineup and was an impact bat from day one. And this time around, you don't necessarily see that guy in this deal. Yeah, although I would argue that, you know, the emergence in Fran Mil Reyes has been very hot lately. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe lessened the need for that other impact bat. Yeah. Um, it's possible. It's also possible, you know, Josh Naylor is Bo Naylor's brother, who they also have in the organization, and maybe they can see some sort of benefit there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I think they feel like they can work with the pieces they got. Um, yeah. I would also <clears throat> note that Austin Hedges is one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. Clearly, he hasn't been able to hit, and um, we have kind of a, you know, sometimes we get teased about it. When we first launched our site over a year ago, we had him way too high in value because at the time we were thinking catcher defense was prized more than it actually is and his never has since gone down way down, the, you know, as he's struggled to hit. So he's down at 2.2 now. Um, but I think Cleveland will appreciate his his catcher defense. They seem to be the type of organization mm-hmm. that does that and working with pitchers. So they could probably milk a little bit more out of that as well. Yeah. Um, so you can see a case for like every piece they got. Like, yeah, they can work with that. Yeah, it's obviously the best defensive catching tandem in the league in all of baseball with Hedges and Roberto Perez. They're both phenomenal back there. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's something that the Indians think is a little undervalued right now, um, catcher defense. So maybe they're just trying to take advantage there. Um, I think this mm-hmm. this move, no matter how you look at it, it's not a move that a team makes when they're all in. I think I think the Indians are content to contend this year, but they're not pushing all their chips in. I think their primary strategy that we've seen is they're trying to extend their window beyond when Lindor walks. Yeah. Um, and now there's always the possibility that they'll lock him up, but it's Cleveland. They've never been known for those large contracts. If there's a guy you make that exception for, it's Lindor. But it seems 
it seems less likely every day that they're going to be handing him that blank check. Yeah. So, so they've made a lot of these deals. Their farm is pretty respectable now. They got a lot of young talent pretty much everywhere around the diamond, um, either on their current roster or waiting in the wings. Um, they've been phenomenal on the international market. They have a lot of younger guys that are probably four-ish years off that could be something down the road. And they're, they're setting themselves up for long-term contention here at the cost of some of their championship chances in this year and next. Yeah, that's what they do. And they're also very budget conscious, and this is a real issue for them and for the Padres, by the way. You know, um, they were already budget conscious before this whole pandemic, you know, kind of wreaked havoc on everybody's, you know, uh, books. But, um, you know, they have to think about that aspect as well. So they're they're not going to resign Lindor. They have to, you know continue to develop a sustainable team on the cheap frankly and and we should mention that that's another thing that we saw with all of aj preller's trades he could in addition to sort of being on the hot seat with his boss and just to explain that ron fowler who's the owner of the padres and aj preller's boss said over the uh off season last year that you know if we don't win heads will roll and so that was very public and AJ Preller has been making moves ever since, basically uh, trying to win now to, to save his job. And in addition to sort of consolidating the the, the roster uh, and developing a winning team, but he also had to do it constrained with budget because Fowler has also complained that you know they've taken some big hits. So he's really threading a needle. Um, in fact, both the Indians and the Padres were threading a needle, trying to be competitive while while saving money that's no easy task but all of his trades were were had you know in addition to sort of roster issues also had that component too which is how can i get impact players you know that won't cost me a whole lot in salary yeah yeah that's very clearly the mo there okay so there's the clevenger trade we've spent enough time kind of hyping up one of the ones that we absolutely nailed let's talk about the one that didn't go quite as well once sure. again, it's the Padres. Once again, it's AJ Preller. And they traded a boatload of talent, in our opinion, for not a, not a ton. <laughs> uh, so this is, this is we're referring to the Austin Nola trade here. Uh, Padres traded outfielder Taylor Trammell, who they had acquired in that Frendel Reyes-Trevor Bauer three-team deal last year. Uh, Trammell we had at $23.4 million. Uh, right-handed reliever Andres Munoz throws like 104. Uh, 12.4 million there. Uh, third baseman Ty France, 8.7 million, and catcher Luis Torrens, 1.2 mil. To the Mariners for Austin Nola, who we had at 7.0 million, and righties Austin Adams, 2.6 mil, and Dan Altavia, who we had at 0 million in value. It was pretty clearly rejected by our system, and I think we've both kind of agreed that no matter. How much you squint at this, you say, uh, maybe we're a little high on this guy, maybe a little low on this guy. Like, it, there's, it's too big of a gap to overcome by, yeah. by us being wrong on every single player in the deal, to the point where this was probably just an overpay. It is. It is a big overpay. And to my earlier point, um, you know, Proler had to find an impact bat that didn't cost anything in salary, and he sees Austin Nola up in Seattle raking, who's making league minimum. And um, so there's your impact bat who's making, you know, it's not costing you anything. So, but the, the trade-off is, you know, I think Jerry Depoto smelled blood in the water, Depoto being the Mariners GM, and, and uh, he just kept asking for more. And um, and Preller wanting to win now just kept giving him more, which is, 
um, it, it boggles my mind. I will say it, we're not alone. Pretty much in the entire baseball industry was shocked. And I'm going to go into sort of the background of this. So Austin Nola clearly has been on fire <clears throat> ever since he came up last year. But you have to start with kind of the the background. He was a 30-year-old journeyman. He was signed to a minor league contract last year by Seattle. No one knew who he was or cared. And he must have changed his swing. And he also had some flexibility on wherever you put him around the diamond. He agreed to catch, play first base, wherever. So he had some value. And he started the more, more playing time they gave him, the more he started raking. And this continued into this year. But he started from such a low base, non-prospect, older, that – even if he does that, his value is going to rise on the value curve, but it's going to start from such a low base. It's not going to get that high, which is why we had him at seven. Um, now, I think this is conventional wisdom across baseball. It's not just us doing that. We have to see, you know, you can't just trust a small sample size. So I think Preller really went out on a limb here and saying, I trust that small sample size. I know he's 30. I know he was a minor league, you know, journeyman. But he's a changed person, and so I think Preller is just banking on the fact that he's going to become the next, you know, Max Muncie or Mikey Stremski, one of these guys that totally turns it around. And he may be right. Only time will tell. And if he's right, and if that happens, you know, Nola's value will continue to climb. And, you know, with Mary, Maryfield, it's quite high as another example. He could go into the 20s and 30s and 40s over time, and a year from now we'll say, you know what? Okay, now it makes sense to us because, it, it, you know, that may have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Trammell has been traded twice, which is a signal um, that he may not be as good as the prospect evaluators think they are, although they both reiterated their stances that he's a 50-value prospect. In other words, they expect him to be like a two-war player going forward. On the other hand, you know, if two teams trade you, you could even count Cleveland in there because that, they, they, they flipped him to San Diego in that three-way. Maybe he's not as good as they think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you can dock him a little bit and you can squint to your point and say maybe nola gets there you know in a year and he's he's worth a lot more yeah but you know that's that's really and the other pieces were mostly sort of you know i i will say though in defense of um munoz in france munoz is really good and mm-hmm. he was amazing when he before he got the tommy john so he's damaged goods now but he can come back from tommy john and start and, you know, and, you know, and, and be their future closer. So there's a real value there. Mm-hmm. Ty France is one of these sort of underrated guys who just hits at every level. And he's, I think, viewed as sort of a role player utility guy. But he, he can real, really contribute. He's probably a, a solid one more player going forward with a lot of control. I mean, there's, you know, they, I know, and I know the Padres didn't have room for all these guys and they're trying to yeah. clear clutter. So I get it. Um, and they could, so they could afford to, because their goal was to win now. Um, yeah. but still, you know, that's a lot of value to give up, even if you squint. Yeah. We, we would understand this if it's okay. He's got to clear out. So he makes a couple, a couple minor, a couple of moderate overpays, things that are still kind of within the boundaries of reality. Um, but just, just a little lopsided, but this one's, as we mentioned, it's the only one from the deadline that broke our, or that wasn't accepted by the model. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I will say this is maybe the exception that proves the rule because everything yeah. else was accepted and it's been going very well for the past year or so. So we feel like, okay, that's fine. There's going to be an outlier once in a while. And this one has – there is a good reason for it. And something I want to bring up right here. So since August 2019, uh, we were mentioning that our model has been very successful. 
98 total trades, 93 accepted by the system. That means five misses. I think four of those are AJ Preller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have I right to, I've been keeping track of the non-AJ Preller. <laughs> if you take those out, yes, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, it's this one, the Austin Ola one right here. Yep. It's the uh, Emilio Pagan, which was right. which was the other direction. I believe right. they got more than they gave up in that one. Right. Um, the Tommy Pham deal. Which was and, the same same yes. team he was trading with, so you yeah. could even those out, but nonetheless, they were two discrete trades. Yeah. Yeah, and then the Luis Urias Trent Grisham one that we've right. gotten. Uh, <laughs> that one came up a little bit more on Twitter as as yep. this as the Austin Nola <clears throat> news was breaking. People were like, "Hmm, they were a little wrong about this one," because in retrospect, that one has turned out very well for the Padres. Um, yeah. We had, and we admitted it very shortly after that we had Urias too high. Um, Mm-hmm. We, we've since kind of adjusted how we look at those post uh, post top prospects that haven't really done anything. Um, and Grisham was a, just a breakout star. Apparently nobody really could have seen that fully coming the way it has so far. Um, so just a little tangent there that Preller hates us. <laughs> and, and I think, I think he actually might because so I would say I, I wouldn't be, I would be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be too surprised to learn that somebody with the D backs or Marlins uh, knows about us, has used the site, maybe used it to help them out with that Starling Marte, Caleb Smith trade. That would, <laughs> that wouldn't floor me. It also wouldn't floor me to learn that Preller or someone else with the Padres listens to the podcast because last week, I believe it was, I mentioned something about how difficult and how unlikely I thought it would be for the Giants to trade Mike Yastrzemski because he was a career minor leaguer, not much prospect track record, <clears throat> hitting the crap out of the ball. And it would be very hard to find two teams to agree on that guy, that kind of guy's value. So Preller says, I'll do you one better and trade for the catching version of Mike Yastrzemski. <laughs> and his name's Austin Nola. <laughs> yep, he got you. He did. No, it, it's... Uh, yeah, go for it. I mentioned in my piece, like 99% of the time, those those types of guys never panned out. Those are quad A yeah. filler guys, you know, minor league free agents, age 30. I mean, come on. <clears throat> They're all, you know, even on a small sample size, you may get a blip, you know, and then and then the league figures them out and then their holes get exposed and then they're back down again. So and that's mm-hmm. mostly what happens. So now I know we're also living in the age of swing changes and you know, guys who have, you know, changed, you know, wh- whether it's pitchers changing their, you know, going to drive line and changing something or hitters going to special hitting coaches and changing something. I know that that's happening as well. So this is becoming a little less unusual than in the past. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of trust that, you know, it's a permanent change that's really sustainable. And I guess he is. Yeah, it's we don't have access to all the information, obviously, but everything we have says that this one and it doesn't like in the past we had Tremel uh, much higher because prospect evaluators had him much higher his stock has fallen uh, they saw him as kind of a stud leadoff guy when he was a top prospect and now it's kind of fallen a bit but even if you think Tremel is more of a Ben Revere than he is an Adam Eaton or a Brett Gardner that's still a decently valuable player to have six years of yeah it's 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 a useful bench slash some uh, platoon starter piece to have on a team and so yeah that alone it's hard to believe that Tremel's stock has fallen to this point it's much easier to believe that maybe Preller didn't love the guy 
and he was willing to overpay. Yeah, and in Tremel's defense, he's got some skills you can hang your hat on. He's got really yeah. good on-base percentage. That's been consistent. Obviously, he's got speed and athleticism. Doesn't have an arm, so I can see him being sort of viewed as a tweener. Like, maybe he doesn't have the arm for center field, so you maybe put him, have to put him in left. And that's not a left field profile because he hasn't really displayed yeah. that much power. So, like, what do you do with him? So maybe that's the knock. I can mm-hmm. see that. So maybe Ben Revere is a decent comp there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so okay. there's that one. Uh, I I think we, we, we agree here. <laughs> yes. Was, and... and there's a, there's pretty much a consensus that this was an overpay. I don't think it's a very unique opinion of ours. Um, I think while there might have been some contention back about the Urias Grisham trade, where there were some people that were kind of defending it for San Diego, I think the consensus here is that like yeah, he overpaid, and we'll kind of just have to see how Nola. How 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 long Nola can keep this up to kind of determine if this works for them long term or not? One other point, I want to give a shout out to our user Matt Swinky, who's a Mariners fan, who kept proposing Nola trade <laughs> on the high side with overpays, like not this level of overpay, but he was on it before this happened. So, mm-hmm. and that's the second time he's done that. So credit to Matt. Yeah. Props. <laughs> All right. Um. Actually, before we get into some of the trends here, I kind of wanted to discuss. The third biggest news point of the deadline, in my opinion, was the trade that didn't happen, and that's Lance Lynn. Um, there was speculation, rampant speculation for weeks, and plenty of rumors on deadline day, the day before, of the Braves, of the Dodgers, of the White Sox, the A's, and he didn't go anywhere. Rangers decided they couldn't get an offer worth trading him. And they hung on to him, and he does have another year of control. But what's your what's your take on that whole situation? So, you know, there were reports today on MLB Trade Rumors and other places that um, it's coming out now what the asking price was. Mm-hmm. Um, the Braves um, were dealing with him, trying to get him, but apparently um, John Daniels, the Rangers GM, was asking for either Christian Pash or uh, Drew Waters, <laughs> um, both of which we have valued higher than Lynn. And yeah. so it's not a surprise from our standpoint that that those guys weren't moved for for him, and and in fact, um, <clears throat> you know Alex Anthopoulos, the Braves GM, said, "Hey, we have a price, you know, and and we had in mind, and their price was too high, we couldn't go there, so we didn't, mm-hmm. and um, and so that justifies it, I think. It's all we know. Um, I think other teams were involved as well, and, and the consensus is that um, the, the asking price was too high." Um, I could argue that, you know, Daniel should have made the move. I mean, look what Mike Miner went for, you know, which was, you know, two very low-level prospects. Um, you know, right now, Lynn's trade value is as high as it's going to be in the offseason. You lose the benefit of this window where teams are trying to get a, a quality starter. The market favors that because there's not very many quality starters available. Mm-hmm. They're all looking for help in the playoffs. You miss that window, and now he's got one year of you know one year of control left. So his value was is is you know may go down just a little bit you know in the off season. But maybe it was worth it for Daniels to rebuff the uh, you know keep in mind GMs. It's a small world. They're always talking to each other. If one gives in one day, he might you know he's on a principled level. He just he wants his price and he wants or he's not going to make a deal because down the road. 
that may come back to haunt him. If he yeah. if he caves on this one, he might they might think he's going to cave on the next one. So I get it. It's all very very intertwined relationships, um, you know. So, but at the same time, I don't know what you know. Maybe the Rangers are thinking about competing again next year, you know. But uh, otherwise, I think he should have moved him because his value was high. And the other thing there is this is the best seller's market maybe that we'll ever see. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think they may, they may expand the playoffs down the road, I think into like 12 teams or so, but I don't think we're ever going to see this 16 team mega playoff again, um, unless it's very successful, but I think it's very unlikely that we see it next yeah. year at least. And so there's just going to be less buyers and maybe, maybe that's a little counteracted by more teams that care about the season that care about the playoffs because you know, maybe in a normal season, if the Tigers are the next team out of the playoffs, they're kind of pushing in a couple chips going for it. But because it's such a weird season and they know that, yeah, maybe they're one spot out of the playoffs, but that doesn't mean they're good. And that doesn't really mean much because there's everyone makes the playoffs. <laughs> um, yeah. So maybe that kind of counteracts the whole expanded playoffs. But I think I think this is the, the strongest sellers market we'll ever see. And it surprised me that they didn't take advantage of that. It's um, true. Yeah. To that, to your point about um, the reports coming out about the Pache and Waters request, I always take those with a pretty healthy grain of salt. Mm-hmm. I feel like they come out all the time. Of uh, there's like a decent rental type or veteran arm, and reports always come out that the team is asking for uh, the buying team's top prospect and another MLB piece, and like. Right. I, I, I have a feeling neither of us have been inside an MLB front office, to be clear, especially on trade deadline day. I have a feeling a lot of trades start out in that kind of sky high, doesn't make any sense area. Um, I'm reminded of back in see the 2012 or 2013 when the Astros had that leak um, about their kind of internal communications about the trade deadline. And there was something ridiculous in there where they asked the Marlins for Giancarlo Stanton in exchange for, uh, I think, Bud Norris or mm. Jack, Zach, or Jake mm. Cozard or something like that. It was something mm. ridiculous. And mm. there were a whole lot of ridiculous requests in there. And I think that's a bit of how teams negotiate for some reason. That's my that's my personal speculation is mm. that they start very far apart just to kind of see like, hey, just in case, like... <laughs> Like I'll, I'll ask you for Luis Robert for Lance Lynn. You don't have to say yes. Right. You'll, but if you do, uh, <laughs> like I can't, I can't really get that burned by asking as long as sure. You know, as long as they're they're not just laughing me out of the room. I, I and, think that's sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that that's general. That's what that feels like to me. The Pache and Waters, because I don't think you would find anyone in baseball that would say, yeah, the Braves should trade one of those guys for Lance Lynn. Yeah, I uh, know. I think it's a great point. I mean, you know, uh, that's negotiation 101 right start yeah. start high and work down so there's that um you know and you know they all know each other right it's a closed club you know there's only 30 of them and they talk to each other mm-hmm. all the time so they also have to so they also kind of know their tendencies like yeah, yeah 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 of course i'm not gonna do that and then they get down to reality eventually mm-hmm. <clears throat> um so you know uh, i think there's some truth to that i think there's also leaks in the press you know, some reporters are known more for, for being kind of shills for like, oh, yeah, these, these guys are talking to this guy and that guy's talking to that guy. And like, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything. It could be just somebody who's trying to, you know, use it for negotiating purposes. There were there were there were reports that um, 
the White Sox were interested in Clevenger, and then later it came out like you know I think it was Rosenthal who pointed out that yeah that was just a stocking horse. The Unions were just using that you know because they're not yeah. going to trade within the division. So a lot of that shenan oh, those shenanigans happen all the time. Yeah, I, I think a couple clear points <clears throat> to that this time around were uh, the, the the entire Clevenger thing was kind of weird the way that it was reported because it seemed like there was some traction toward a deal on Friday night or Friday night. Sunday night, excuse me. <laughs> Seemed like there was some traction toward a deal on Sunday night, and it didn't quite get past the finish line. And there were reports that, oh, maybe the Padres aren't the front runners. Like, they're, Cle- yeah. Cleveland's asking other teams, there's a mystery team. Oh. And, like, <laughs> uh, do teams really still believe all of that? <laughs> like, uh, I can't imagine that that, uh, that the, the Padres and Indians had an agreement in place. And then all of a sudden they pull the whole mystery team thing out of their back pocket. And suddenly yeah. the Padres are like, okay, fine. We'll add in Josh Naylor. I cannot yeah. imagine that that is yeah. how that went. Yeah. Um, but then the other one that stood out to me as just bizarre beyond belief was the D-backs with Marte. Um, so there, were, there was like a little bit of buzz heading into the deadline that they might shop him around, but there was nothing nothing too concrete. I think that trade was a little bit surprising for a lot of people. Um, there was a tweet about an hour before, I think it was from Joel Sherman about an hour before Starling Marte was traded. And it essentially said like team, an AL executive told me that the D backs are trying to get rid of Marte. They've told teams that they won't be exercising uh, their option for 2021 on him and best offer gets him. And I thought that was the most bonkers thing I've ever heard because it, it's Marte's been fantastic this year. Even if he hadn't been fantastic this year, preseason we already had his option as one they should pick up. There, there's no question whether a team should pick up Marte's option. And maybe there is some grain of truth there about the D-backs trying to cut payroll. But that seems like such a ridiculous thing to have leak out. It's... It, you would lose all your like you would never tell a team right mm-hmm. like if you're the d-backs you would never tell a team like oh we're not bringing them back next year so like right take it out yeah right <laughs> like yeah you're gonna tell them like we don't need to make this trade we can bring them back next year we're more than happy doing that you have to give us what we want so the yeah weird rumors <laughs> fly all over the place <clears> on <throat> deadline day yeah, which makes you wonder if it's the opposing side that's planning yeah. that number. That yeah. wouldn't be the Diamondbacks doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, side note on that one, though, by the way. So um, Diamondbacks GM Mike Hazen traded for Marte in the offseason, mm-hmm. traded, you know, and, and, which was another fair deal in our system, um, to, you know, promising prospects. And, you know, at the time we had Marte at around 21, and here again he went for 21. So basically, it was no harm, no foul for Hazen yeah. to, to try him out for for a while, and then to see if they were contenders. Free 30-day rental. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he got back the same amount of value. So yeah. good for him. <clears throat> it, it was uh, he repurposed the value a little bit. He gave up a couple very young prospects for Marte initially, mm-hmm. and it, the D-backs planned on contending this year. Obviously, that didn't go well at all. Um, but their plan is still they want to win in the next few years they're not rebuilding right now um and they got back a piece in caleb smith that can help them right away Mm -hmm. Um, he's young and has team control but he's an mlb contributor so it it was a good the the entire there's nothing to be upset about 
if you're a D-backs fan with the whole Marte. Uh, I'd, I'd say the one thing to be upset about is he didn't get... You only got a month of Starling and Cattell Marte batting next to each other in the lineup, the Marte <laughs> yeah. Parte. But yeah. <laughs> um, beyond that, I think it was handled pretty well overall. Yeah, I, I agree. And they, they seem to have a, a a nice connection, the Diamondbacks and Marlins, with pitching mm-hmm. in general, having gotten Zach Gallen from them uh, last yeah. year at the deadline. And so maybe this is another one of those cases. Yeah, I and mean, you have to guess that Caleb Smith's name has come up in the past. Um, probably during those negotiations for the Chisholm and Zach mm-hmm. Gallen trade last year. So these teams have been doing their homework. Yeah, that's true. All right. So do you want to, are there any big trends you want to discuss or do you want to just jump into the kind of deal by deal breakdowns? Well, um, you know, I, I do want to make a couple of general points. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a lot of, you know, small trades like, you know, onesie twosie trades, zero to mm-hmm. three. And, um, you know, we don't really sweat those if we're off like a little bit here and there. And so I make the example of Franklin Barreto for Tommy LaStella. You know, we had Barreto at one, Tommy LaStella at 2.5. Um, you know, you ha- if you look at it from the GM's point of view, you're sitting on a very large capital base of players who all have values. Vat them all up. It's in the hundreds of millions, right? So uh, um, uh, if you're off by one or two, you're not going to get, and the example I use is, you know, if you, if it's, if your asset base, this is like portfolio management 101. If it's 207 and now it's 206, that's rounding error. That's couch, couch cushion change. Mm-hmm. You don't care. What you care more about is filling a need. And also the second point is time is a factor. So, yeah. um, you know, right now it looks like the A has got the better part of that small deal because they've got Tommy Lastella for a month and whatever he gives them in the playoffs. Um, but then after that, his value will be zero. He's gone. He's a rental. But Barreto will still be there, and maybe he's his upside. Maybe he cre- increases. So, you could say the A's got the better part of the deal today. A month from now, you could say the Angels got the better part of the deal. And this is the way these yeah. small trades tend to flow. Yeah. You know, so it in the end, it's kind of a wash. So we don't look, we don't kick ourselves if we're off by one or two, because then the model sort of accepts those for those mm-hmm. reasons. <clears throat> and. and... With, there's going to be enough fluctuation here, especially given the season and everything, that there is a little bit of an error bar there, especially for those small guys. Like we, we don't think, we obviously didn't think that Clevenger would be going for that. He, we didn't think uh, Clevenger being valued at 50 million was within his range, or at 25 million was within his range. Um, we feel pretty confident about that. Um, give or yeah. take a couple of mil on each side. But for these smaller guys, it can be as much as double in some cases when they are small in the one, two, three million type range where it's yeah. like, yeah, they just have error bars here. We're dealing with pretty small numbers to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And then another point I want to just make, which I touch on is, is um, relievers are very volatile. Um, you know, and this is not a secret. I get it. <laughs> you know, they good one year, bad another year. And so, you know, we could look at it, you know, from a sort of a longer term track record point of view. But then that doesn't really match up to reality, because if he's, if the reliever is not pitching well, he tends to not be attractive as an asset. The ones the consistent thing we see is you always go with the hot hand. So, um, you know, relievers, it's, it's a what what have you done for me lately kind of situation. With yeah. So in our model, you know, we tend to bias a little bit that way because that's what teams do and they know that there's there's quite a lot of you know 
uh, movement and, and turnover and churn with relievers. So you get a hot hand here, okay, you use them, and then the next year you get another hot hand, and that's just the way that market flows. So mm-hmm. you just kind of have to roll with that. And so sometimes yeah. when our numbers are, are that way, they're going to change quite a bit, you know, you know, month to month, you know, because this guy's got a hot hand, and then he's cold, and that one is too. So it's just like it's a bit of a whack-a-mole game. Um, so we try to and we try to take into account track record as well. But like Edwin Diaz's value has been jumping uh, to 13 to two to five to six to like, where is he? Somewhere in that range, <laughs> depending on the week you look at him. Right. Yeah. He goes um, up, or, up or down by three <laughs> to five mil yeah. every week. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh, man, he's terrible. Oh, actually, he's back. Oh, no, he's terrible again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it you know, depends on when the deadline is, you're going to get the terrible yeah. one or the good one, you know? So, um, you know, we try to even those out as much as possible, but at the same time, we're aware that that's what's going on. So, you know, and so the example I case Miguel, Miguel Castro, the Orioles, who has always had good stuff, but he's been very inconsistent, very wild. His numbers are all over the place. Um, but, you know, he had a good week. We When we did the update, he had a bad week, and then he had a good week, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the Mets traded a, you know, lower to mid-level pitching prospect for him, but and they're taking a chance on this stuff, and maybe they can turn it into something. But my point is that, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to pin down that value of those very specific cases, and so we try to, you know, I would advise looking at the range rather than the specific number at any given time. Yeah. Uh, two of our moderate overpays from the deadline were Miguel Castro and Michael Givens. So mm-hmm. in both of those deals, the Orioles got back more than we expected. So well done, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are both guys where, yeah, I mean, they don't have elite track records. Givens obviously has the stronger track record, but they're both pitching pitching pretty well this year. And as you mentioned, Castro, especially in the last week or so. Yeah. Um, and so teams just maybe and, and <laughs> the Rockies are are known for overpaying a little bit for their bullpen. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And because they can't get pitching on the free agent. Market. Well, they tried and didn't yeah. work out. So yeah. they're trying everything they can to get pitching. Yeah. So those were I think we'll take that every every single deadline. If yeah. the majority of our overpays are on relievers mm-hmm. <laughs> or the majority of the players, the trades that we like almost missed uh, because they were still accepted by the system. They were just, uh, just barely accepted by the system. Um, so if, if those are the ones we miss the relievers who just had a hot couple weeks, then we'll take it. Take that every time. Yep. Okay. So let's go ahead and just run through. Like I mentioned, I've got quite a few tabs open right here. A lot of these are, I have all the tabs open, so some of them are just the very minor fringe roster type trades, and uh, we can just talk through them real quick. If there's anything we want to stop and linger on for a bit, we can do that. Um, These are in mostly sort of chronological order. (laughs) They're in semi-chronological order from when we tweeted them out from the Baseball Trade Values Twitter account, at Baseball Values, go follow it. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But occasionally there's a couple that are out of order, so... All right, let's start with Taiwan Walker to the Blue Jays. We had him at 0.9 million in trade value, and it was for a player to be named later outside of their 60 man. So we do not know yet who they got back, but not anticipating a whole lot of value there. Yeah, actually, there's some breaking news on that. It was a prospect. Oh. Last name is Rodriguez. I can't remember his first name. We had him at 1.6, so small oh. overpay. Okay, but yep. well within the range, as we yep. mentioned. That's right. All right. 
he should be a decent little fit for them. There were also reports that the Blue Jays and Pirates came close to a Joe Musgrove deal but couldn't pull it off. That one would have been really interesting, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, then A's and Angels, Franklin Barreto for Tommy LaStella, as we mentioned. We already kind of went over that there. Um, Barreto was just, he was the odd man out in Oakland, it was clear. They never really gave him full reins and at the same time he never really did enough in the majors to earn full reins of the second base job and uh, this season i think he had gone over <laughs> five with like five strikeouts and five runs scored or something <laughs> silly like that because they'd just yeah. been using him as their pinch runner in extra innings uh, he was clearly on the outs there and Listella's kind of exactly what they needed it's they needed a lefty bat they needed contact and on base percentage since they've been striking out quite a bit this season and he's all of that into one with a little bit of pop yeah and Barreto obviously is a interesting story because he used to be a top prospect he was one of the key pieces of the little Josh Donaldson trade several years ago and he just hadn't really panned out his main problem was just pitch recognition he kept swinging at outside sliders and you know with abandon and as much as they worked with him it still didn't take <clears throat> so I think yeah. he just got frustrated more and more with him to the point where they couldn't really use him and it's another sort of example of how you know, for a former top prospect who is a post prospect at this point kept kind of falling down our spectrum. Um, we had yeah. to keep adjusting for that. We might have actually adjusted too low in this case because mm-hmm. um, Eric Longenhagen uh, included him in his roundup and he had him at a 40 plus. We had him at a 40 if he were still a prospect. So small, yeah. very small, small difference there. But nonetheless, it was it was mostly an agreement on the direction. So um, he had fallen to that level. And, you know, good luck to him. Maybe he figures it out. The other thing yeah. is he was out of options. So the A's had no yeah. choice. And they have about 12 second basemen on that roster. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Loggenhagen has always been pretty firm that he think that he sees Barreto as more of an outfielder long-term, doesn't think he has the hands for the infield. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Barreto's going to get a whole lot of center field playing time in LA. I think they kind of have a guy there. <laughs> I've heard of <laughs> him. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> his, his name gets around a little bit. Um, so he's probably more likely to see some infield time there. Last I saw, he's on their COVID IL right now just to – Make sure, just out of an abundance of caution, as all these teams are saying, yeah, right. <laughs> to make sure that he's clear before they add him to the team. But it'll be interesting to see what he can do if he gets real playing time. All right. Next one is a slight overpay here. The Padres picking up Trevor Rosenthal from the Royals in exchange for... Uh, so we had Trevor Rosenthal at $2.2 million, and they sent over outfielder Edward Olivares, $5.0 million, and a player to be named later. Yeah, so overpay, um, you know, <clears throat> to the point we were just discussing, hot hand, reliever, Yeah, you know, it suddenly, you know, he was on the outs, he couldn't get a deal, the Royals, you know, bought low on him, said, okay, we'll try you. Mm-hmm. He gets hot, he finds his old groove, and um, suddenly he's the hottest reliever on the market, and we yeah. talked about that on our last podcast, that we th- we thought he would be, and certainly he was. Um, yeah. He's a guy so, we've had on our eye on since week one, basically. He comes yeah, out throwing exactly. 99, throwing strikes, and it's like, okay, teams are going to want this guy, and the Royals, we know the Royals are going to be happy to flip him. So, you know, you get a month plus of Rosenthal for Oliveris, who, you know, there was some buzz about Oliveris because he mm-hmm. kind of, you know, climbed up the, you know, that deep Padres farm, and, and um, you know, <clears throat> he, he climbed up there um, – you know, their spectrum into where he, they were giving him real playing time. He didn't really, really pan out. And so it sounds like they gave up on him a little early, but um, you know, it's another overpay by uh, 
by AJ Preller to just get a win now uh, you know improve his team so mm-hmm. yeah I think it's easily explainable and talk about a bullpen over there in San Diego killer bullpen <laughs> yeah when they get Austin yeah. Adams uh, back as yeah. well he's got yeah. some stuff yeah if, if you can't find five awesome starters just build a bullpen and cross that's your right. fingers especially with expanded <laughs> rosters that's right all righty next trade we're looking at the padres again if you couldn't tell they were pretty active <laughs> uh they picked up mitch moreland from the red Sox. we have him at 4.6 mil for third base prospect hudson potts 4.4 mil and outfielder jason rosario 2.2 mil yeah same story here win now uh, give up two prospects who, you know, were blocked. And also, again, the um, each of these were Rule 5 eligible, so they would have had yeah. to have been added to the 40. Similar, it's a very common theme with AJ Preller. He's he's clearing out his roster crunch because he, he had he didn't he didn't need to he didn't have a space for them on the 40. Red Sox do. Red Sox are like, yeah, we'll take it. We, you know, so <laughs> they we need signed Moreland, yeah. and now we've got two prospects out of it. And we'll add them to yeah. the 40, sure. Um, so good deal for them. And to Moreland's credit, he's insane this year. <laughs> he's he's just hitting nonstop and yeah, decent pickup for them. Um, if you had asked me a week ago to name two prospects that I thought the Padres were going to trade in uh, before the deadline, these two would have been I guarantee you the first two that I said, mm-hmm. they, they, they're very obvious trade candidates. They're blocked. They're non-elite prospects and the rule five risk that you mentioned. There you go. That's right. <clears throat> All right. Next one is the Michael Givens trade that we mentioned. Orioles traded Givens, who we have at 6.3 million to the Rockies for infielder, Tyler Nevin, infielders, excuse me, Tyler Nevin at 7.3 million and Taryn Vavra at 4.6 million plus a player to be named later. Yeah, it's a overpay. Um, we talked about the Rockies needing pitching, especially mm-hmm. need bullpen help, given all their failed free agents that in the bullpen, including Wade Davis and others. So, well, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll give Givens a groove. Givens has always had the stuff. This year, he's the hot hand. He he's putting it together. So, um, you could see his value maybe climbing even more if he continues yeah. that trend. So, I can see it's well within you know reasonability here so um mm-hmm. that's fine um there's interestingly on the prospects that the orioles got back on nevin and Barbara, um two of our most trusted sources baseball america and Fangraphs, have um have split on each one one thinks nevin is not as good and mm-hmm. Barbara is better the other thinks nevin is better and Barbara is not as good so it kind of cancels each other out and so yeah you can't really say you know one got the got this one right or the other. We just sort of have them in both in the same range. So it's just, yeah. just you know, moderate overpay. It's fine. Yeah. Seemed like a couple quality prospects, though. I wouldn't blink twice if Nevin was the next Mancini and Vavra is the next Hanser Alberto. Yeah, right. <laughs> Orioles have been doing some good things the last year or two. Yes. Hey, look, we're back to the Padres. <laughs> <laughs> they picked up catcher Jason Castro. <clears throat> we had at 3.0 million. From the Angels, in exchange for righty Gerardo Reyes, we had a 0.7 million. So this one's a slight underpay by San Diego. Yeah, apparently the Angels just wanted a clear salary with uh, Castro while they could because they owed him some money. Um, he's having a respectable season. Um, so, um, I don't know. I was a little surprised by the underway, underpay in this one. But again, it's in that 0-3 to three range where you know it's going to work out. So and the Angels will get the better deal in a month. So it's okay. Yeah. Saved, mm-hmm. saved a few bucks. And Castro was pretty bad with the bat this year. He's never been known for being a Hedges-type defender or anything, so he's not going to get all his value that way. Um, 
and maybe the angels just decided maybe the angels had offers on the table for better a better return but they decided hey we like reyes live arm throws over 100 can slot right into our bullpen very soon and they're they're a team that wants to compete every year that they have trout and rendon on the roster so why yeah not and piece that's mlb ready interesting you've identified another trend sort of as well which is you know the padres traded muñoz and reyes both who've got live arms great stuff mm-hmm. one's injured the other one hasn't quite put it together with control issues and so yeah. but they're both projects in other words they've got the stuff but not the track record yet and they don't have the patience to work with them yet because they're trying to win now but the other teams do so it works mm-hmm. out yeah all right then we got the blue jays picking up lefty robbie ray who we had at 2.3 million from the d-backs in exchange for lefty travis bergen um, the Rays actually pitched in, or excuse me, the D-backs pitched in uh, about 300000 in cash to help with Rays' contract, and we have Burden, Bergen, Berger, Bergen? <laughs> at uh, $0.3 million in trade value. So this one looks like a minor underpay as well, but I mean, Rays just been a disaster this year. Maybe we yes. weren't quite as aggressive as we should have been on him, but... When at the time he was traded, he had 31 innings pitched, 31 hits, 31 walks. That's not good. It's dreadful. So yeah, I mean he's running out the clock, and I mentioned in mm-hmm. in this article as well. The um, it, it gets to a point like if you, you know maybe you want to save a few bucks. We talked about the Diamondbacks wanting to cut some salary, and you know it, as it got closer and closer to the four o'clock Eastern time deadline. Okay, just get what you can. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think that's what happened here uh, because he had no future there. He was a rental. He was pitching terribly. You know, probably didn't get a whole lot of good offers. Bergen was a, a Rule Five guy. Uh, he's got passed around between the Giants and the Blue Jays, and yeah. maybe he's got a touch of upside. So they figured, okay, best we can get. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was talking to some of my Diamondbacks fan friends. I, I live in Arizona right now, so there's a handful of them around, and their basic uh, basically what i was telling them was like i i can't <laughs> i can see a very realistic future where robbie ray is just done as a starter that's the, he made a big he already had control issues he made a big adjustment didn't fix him made everything worse mm-hmm. maybe he's just done as a starter i could i could very much see it happening where two or three years from now he shows up to royals camp or dodgers camp on a minor league deal and suddenly he's throwing 98 out of the bullpen, and he's the Trevor Rosenthal of the deadline that year. Yeah. Would that surprise you in the slightest bit? Not one single bit. Failed starters turning into relievers later in the career. Look at Ross mm-hmm. Detweiler, for God's yes. sake. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but I <laughs> if I had to put money on anybody being the next guy to do it, it's Robbie Ray. Yeah, uh, to his because credit, he's, he's you, always had, you know, he's got velocity, yeah. you know, you got you got some stuff to work with there. Yeah, to his credit, he had a pretty strong first outing with the Blue Jays. They used him as sort of a follower mm-hmm. on Tuesday night and he pitched pretty well. Um, but yeah, he's just been a disaster. And Buffalo, Buffalo Blue Jays are going to <laughs> squeeze whatever value they can there. So if you wanted to make a mental adjustment on the number, we had him at 2.3, but that was all based on the starter. Uh, projections yeah. relievers tend to be about half uh the value of a starter so you can see mm-hmm. kind of gets closer if you squint and look at it that way yes yeah. and as i mentioned we tried to be we tried to kind of toe the middle there about how much of this first month of play we actually took into account for 
our updates because it is only a month. We're not going to go nuts over some nobody with a 450 wo ex-woba. Um, well, Gosselin! Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to go bonkers and say that Phil Gosselin's now worth $10 million or whatever. Austin um, Nola, though. <laughs> true, true. It's, it's one of those cases where maybe yeah. in Austin Nola, they treat him like that is who he is. Maybe with Robbie Ray, they're treating him like this is who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, just, all, all joking aside, yes, I agree. We have to sort of stick to our our grounding and in and, yeah. and our model and in nine times out of 10, it's right. So yeah. If, if we went purely based <laughs> off of 2020 data, Ray would have been far into the negatives. Yes. All right. So next we come up on the D back Starling Marte trade. We already spent a while on this one. I don't think we mm -hmm. really need to hit it too hard. Uh, Marte, like I mentioned, 21.2 for Caleb Smith, 21 point. Oh, did I typo here? I did typo here. Uh, also 21.2. Um, Righty Humberto Mejia at 0.9 million, and a player to be named later who is lefty Julio Frias, who we have at 0.1 million. Fair deal. Very fair. Nice to see the Marlins having some fun out there in Miami going for it. Yeah, they're quite a story, although they've cooled off quite a bit, but mm -hmm. that still didn't deter them from making a. Uh, interestingly, they were both buyers and sellers. We'll talk about the VR trade, VR trade yeah. in a moment. Um, yeah. But I think it was mostly about filling a need and seeing what they can get now, mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit next year. Yeah, and there's going to be some genuinely bad teams in the NL that make the playoffs, so maybe they're just one of them. <laughs> yeah. All right, then we another D-backs one. They shipped Andrew Chafin off to the Cubs for a player to be named later or cash. We have Chafin at 1.4 million, but he's currently on the injured list, so that kind of varies based on yeah how long he spends on the list. And reportedly, the player to be named later is contingent on how long how long it takes him to get healthy again and how much he actually pitches for the Cubs. And I bet there are more of those that will come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was contingent upon this, and that was contingent mm -hmm. upon that. I think we're going to see some of that, which is why you still see a lot of those. Yeah. All righty. Now we have the Mike Miner trade. Uh, Oakland picks up Mike Miner, $4.2 million from the Rangers. Uh, reportedly, uh, $0.7 million in cash is headed to Oakland as well uh, to help cover the salary, and Oakland is sending... A little over 100000 in international slot money to Texas. And they're also sending prospects Marcus Smith, an outfielder, $2.8 and Dustin Harris, who we have at $1.3 third baseman. So this one works out as another very fair trade. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the A's get, um, you know, some of the starters were starting to struggle. Miner started off rough, but he's starting to turn the corner. He had a great start against the Dodgers. He was obviously... Mm -hmm terrific last year so they're this is a type of A's trade that they you know they made two deals last year one for homer bailey one for tanner Rourke, that worked out well for them they have a tendency to do this so they're i think banking yeah. on that minor is more similar to his 2019 self than than the cold start he got and minor has a tendency to do that he gets better as the season goes i think i'll have to check that uh, mm -hmm. but they're they're banking on that um you know and so it's a reasonable deal i will say one other thing so how we value international so they didn't actually send money. They actually yeah, sent yeah. the right to spend the money. <laughs> and if you don't plan on spending it, you might as well just, you know. So, but there's still value to that because teams could actually use that space, if you will, to make a profit. And FanDirect Graphs did a whole study on the ROI of that and that mm -hmm. there's quite a return on that. So the right to spend the money, if you do it, will lead to a good investment that will pay off later. So it's yeah. it's hard to measure 
you know, for simplicity's sake, figure it's roughly equivalent, probably a little bit more. So if you spend, mm-hmm. if you give them a hundred thousand cap space, it's probably worth a hundred thousand profit, maybe a little more. It yeah. it's fine. <laughs> you could you could hypothetically use that hundred thousand to go sign the next Fernando Tatis. Yes, hypothetically. Not likely, <laughs> but but in, in that in that kind of point, you could spend it on somebody that once they show up on prospect lists they're at a 0.5 and so yeah. maybe that point and, and it has a range obviously You'll, a lot of the times they'll spend it on guys that don't make anything of themselves but as you mentioned it's about even yeah um and another point for the a's there they really needed another arm here um as you mentioned a lot of their rotation is struggling their sixth starter right now is Daniel Mengden, and that's not really exciting anybody mm-hmm. and with their covid shutdown this week as well as the couple of games that they, uh, their wildcat strike, I believe it's called, um, for the Jacob Blake, um, yep, incidents. Yep. They are many games behind right now. They're going to have a lot of double headers coming up. They have a very busy month of September. They needed another arm, and they've already mentioned that. Yeah, we might use Miner out of the bullpen a little bit, but he's primarily, <laughs> we're going to use him in some of those starts of those double headers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Alrighty, heading to the Tigers, who absolutely love trading Cameron Maben. <laughs> this is the third time they have done so. And they sent him to the Cubs for shortstop Zach Short, who we had at $2.6 million. Good deal for the Tigers. You know? mm-hmm. Maben was a rental. Um, as you mentioned, they love trading. They don't need him. Um, you know, you could, they're, they're sort of actually on the bubble. Um, they've still got a, a small shot at being in the playoffs, yeah. albeit... They would need to pass the, the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays made yeah, some big additions. Yeah, but my Tiger Tigers fans on Twitter feels <laughs> kind of... They're, they're like, yeah, we've got a good deal, but we're also going to go for it. But they didn't trade their other rentals, interestingly enough. They didn't yeah. trade Austin Romine or Jonathan Scope. Maybe they just didn't mm-hmm. get the right deals, or maybe they were trying to like split the, split the difference. But... Mm-hmm. From a valuation standpoint, they made a good deal here. Yeah. Short is, you know, he's a 40, you know, prospect, so he he's probably going to be a utility bench guy in the future, mm-hmm. you know. But that's, you know, sure, that has a little bit of value. Yeah. Well, it's fine. He's interesting. He's a little old for a guy that doesn't really have significant AAA playing time, so that's definitely a factor there as well. Mm-hmm. All righty, next we got Archie Bradley, 4.7 mil to the Reds for outfielders, oh, as well as 0.1 mil in cash, to the Reds for outfielders Stuart Fairchild, who we had at 2.4 mil, and Josh Van Meter, who we had at 3.2. Another fair deal. Um, I think this one, I, I saw some people criticizing you know, the, the return uh, to the Diamondbacks, but I think it's quite fair. Um, you know, Bradley is actually one of these guys that, you know, we talked about the volatility relievers. He's been, you know, if you look at the longer term track mm-hmm. record, he's pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're fairly confident in that number. And, um, you know, Van Meter's a utility guy. Fairchild is a 40 level prospect. Maybe he turns into a fourth outfielder. Yeah, I can see it from that standpoint. People could criticize it, but it's a fair deal on mm-hmm. paper. Both those yeah. guys will be marginally productive. I know a lot of D-backs fans upset about it. It's Archie Bradley's been a fan favorite. Um, he's always been kind of the voice of the team. He had that big triple in the wild card game mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple of years back. Um, but I think what stands out to me is that it just seems like a weird fit for me, um, the return that they got. And obviously, 
it's it's you you take the best value you can get it's like the draft you just take the value you can get mm -hmm. especially in a deal like this and if it doesn't fit your roster or whatever that's okay you flip it somewhere else for somebody who does um but josh van meter gives me very strong josh rojas vibes <laughs> they're both kind of lefty bats can play all over the field not more of a super utility type than an everyday player very very similar profiles there and then fairchild is kind of just a little uninteresting fourth outfielder type like you mentioned and they're an organization that's pretty deep in the outfield so the specific player like the values even make sense specific players mm, don't totally get it but i'm not going to crit criticize it too much yeah fair enough all right then we get to castro we had him at 0, 0.0 million and they traded him to the mets for lefty kevin smith at 4.2 and a player to be named later yeah, then Castro got hot since we did the, uh, as we talked about earlier, since we did the, yeah. so he may goes up a little bit more. It was an overpay for the Mets. One of the themes I saw is that Brody Van Wagen and the Mets GM was making a few last minute deals. He picked up Robinson. Yeah. We'll, talk, we'll talk about those. Uh, yeah. But but it, it felt a little bit like, okay, I'm just going to grasp at whatever I can with whatever's left. And, and Castro has been wildly inconsistent. So maybe, you know, this is another case where he, he has a, you know, a good month or so, and his value goes up as a reliever, as they want to do, and it's fine. It's a fair deal. It wasn't that much of an overpay, but it, it raised my eyebrows a little bit. Mm -hmm. All right, now we're heading into a lot of these deals that kind of trickled in after the uh, the deadline actually went through. Um, this We see this every year where it takes a minute to process paperwork to make things official. Um, so you're you're not allowed to agree to any deals or submit any deals to the league office after the deadline, but they kind of trickle through afterward. Um, so this first one's the Angels traded Brian Goodwin, who he had at 1.1 million, to the Reds for lefty Packy Naughton. Fantastic name. Uh, 0.8 mil. <laughs> 1930s boxer Packy Naughton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I didn't know the Reds needed more outfielders, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, uh, yeah, they've been picking up outfielders right and left. It's I know, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Goodwin's been a solid bat for the Angels, kind of an adventure in the outfield sometimes. Um, he was a nice pickup for them, just kind of off the scrap heap. He put together a couple good seasons, and now they get a decent little lefty out of him. So props to the Angels for that. It's um, a fair deal, I would say. Yeah. You know, a lot of people thought Goodwin, you know, might be worth more than he is, but he's he's been out of options. So out of options kind of role players fourth outfielder mm -hmm. types tend to bounce around and you see him bouncing around so yep. you know he's reasonably productive for a fourth outfielder but you know that i don't you know i have to say as a side note out of options is a, is a value killer you mm -hmm. know because it gives teams no flexibility so if you're on the fringe you're gonna get dfa'd you know even if yeah. you're worth more than this so you can get so it it makes perfect sense to me they trade him for a reliever whose clock hasn't started yet. So yeah. it's fine. If you're out of options, you have to be a reliable everyday player to still yeah. have significant value, really. That's right. Because if Brian Goodwin in a normal season, obviously, if he had a bad month, he's cut. And that's <laughs> to mm -hmm. make room for the next reliever that needs to get on the roster because the bullpen's fried or whatever. Like, he's not... No flexibility, like you mentioned. The team doesn't have as much control over him yeah and if you look at the dfa waiver wire it's almost all out of options guys that's what teams yeah. do it's the first yeah. place they look 
Got to cut the auto eruptions, guys. So. Yep. There you go. You got something for him. <clears throat> okay, now here's another smaller outfielder getting traded. Red Sox traded Kevin Pillar. We had at 0.7 mil and some cash. We don't know yet about that to the Rockies in exchange for a player to be named later in international slot money. Again, we don't really know the specifics there, but looks like yeah. it makes sense. Fair deal, I, as yeah. far as I can tell. I mean, we don't know the numbers coming back, but let's assume that they're in, the, in yeah. that range. I know some Red Sox fans were excited, like, oh, Pilar, I mean, Pilar has some uh, trade value, right? <laughs> like, he's a rental. He's been bouncing around. Yeah, not much. <laughs> so it's, he's never proves the point. <laughs> yeah. I saw some tweets, I think, from Mike Petriello saying, like, nice job, Rockies, picking up Kevin Pilar. He just did it, like, four years too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, back when he was a plus-plus defender, he was a great fit for them in Coors with how huge that outfield is. But now he's lost a, a handful of steps, so. Decent fourth yeah. outfield type. Defensive replacement for some of those, those guys out there that have bricks for gloves. I'm, I'm looking at Charlie Blackman and <laughs> yeah. David Dahl to an extent. but Yeah, yeah. And, and to his credit, he's been an average bat. And maybe yeah. that plays up just a little bit in Colorado. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Another Red Sox deal. They traded Josh Osich. Negative 0.1 mil to the Cubs for a player to be named later. Nothing to talk about there, right? <laughs> I don't know why anybody wants Josh Osich. They needed a lefty. Yeah, yeah he's a warm yeah. body. <laughs> he's he's going to keep that spot warm until Chafin is healthy. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll DFA him. Yeah. All right, now we're at the VR trade. Um, Marlon sent infielder Jonathan VR 2.1 mil to the Blue Jays for outfielder, reportedly. It was a player to be named later. It's reportedly outfielder Griffin Conine. 5.4 mil and there's there's a legacy connection there <laughs> jeff conine is beloved in miami although jeter fired him mm -hmm. um but griffin conine's his kid and we think he's everyone thinks he's a pretty solid prospect and we think he's got some value here and marlins did pretty well in this one so there is some disagreement on the prospect of value side. some think he's a 40 some think he's a 40 plus mm -hmm. we have a blend you know, so one of them could be right. I'm not sure. We'll see how it turns out. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's fine. It's, you know, the Blue Jays are obviously excited about their prospects now that they've, uh, I, mean, yeah. I should say, their chances of winning and getting into the playoffs. So Vilar helps them while Bill Bobachette is out and can help them in these experienced guy to have around, you know, if they mm -hmm. make the playoffs. So, you know, that's fine. Um, and Conine was expendable because he was probably blocked, you know, because they're developing quite a good in infield there. So, yeah, you can mm -hmm. see it. You know, it's not a big overpay depending on how you value Conine and depending on which va prospect yeah. evaluator you do. We split the difference, like I said, so there's a bit of a small overpay there, but nothing outrageous. I will say it does tend to break up the band a little bit because the Blue Jays had that whole son of a major yeah. leaguer thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know who Jonathan VR's dad is? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Conine's that stereotypical kind of old for his level, big power, bunch of strikeouts type, um, where maybe he's something, maybe he's nothing. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's got a little bit larger of a larger risk and larger of an error bar than a lot yeah. of prospects. So yeah, that's right. understandable that if Blue Jays are a little lower on him, they're fine with letting him go here. Yeah. Okay, then we got... David Phelps trade that we mentioned earlier. Brewers sent Phelps 2.0 mil to the Phillies for three players to be named later. They're all pitchers. Brandon Ramey, Israel Puello, Puello and Juan Geraldo. Um, 
they weren't in our system at the time. Have you added them? I've had I've added them, um, and Eric Longenhagen thinks they're all thirty fives. So we all gotcha. have we have them all at point ones. But you know, I think the the uh, Brewers are hoping one of them turns into something, and mm-hmm. they're just like three lottery tickets. Maybe you win on one. Yeah, and Phelps is a very He's a cromulent reliever. That's the way I would put it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he heads to the Phillies, where a team that desperately, desperately needs cromulent relievers, and he's reconnected with Joe Girardi. So, yeah. right, yeah, fair deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mets. The Mets were weird. <laughs> they, as we mentioned before, they picked up Miguel Castro in what we thought was an overpay. Then they made two separate trades about a minute apart. <laughs> where they added catcher Robinson Chirinos. We have it negative 1.4 mil and 4.4 mil in cash for a player to be named later. And Todd Frazier, who we had at 0.0 mil for a player to be named later. So, you know, I think the cash kind of helps even this out a little bit more. Um, I don't get why people are into Robinson Chirinos. I mean, maybe he had a bat, but he's old. He's in his late thirties mm-hmm. now. I mean, the Mets needed a catcher is what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. And they sort of grasped that one, you know, Frazier is just a, a guy that can plug a hole as well. At this point, he's at the end of his career and he's a veteran. And maybe if you make the playoffs, you get that veteran presence sense thing, maybe gets a big hit. Obviously he's been there before New Jersey kid. So fine. You yeah, know. did you know? Did you know he he was in the Little League World Series? Have you, have you ever heard that before? <laughs> Running joke on Twitter, I know. Yeah, um, yeah. Frazier's a decent fit for them. Bench bat, who's hitting pretty well this year, actually. I I thought that was a ridiculous signing by Texas, but hey, it, they traded him. They got something back for him. We don't know what yet, but they got something. Um, yeah, probably just a yeah, lottery ticket from the. And yeah, Torinos is weird. They. Reportedly, we're kind of kicking the tires on Christian Vasquez earlier. Uh-huh. Red Sox wanted too much. Um, Torinos wouldn't have been my natural second choice there. I probably would have shot for just some glove first fringe wire, waiver wire type. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure, Mets, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Get another well, iffy defender to back up iffy defender Wilson Ramos. <laughs> yeah, and I will say... Um... I'm speculating here, but, you know, the Mets are obviously about to be sold. Brody Van yeah. Wagen does not know if he's going to have a job uh, yeah. once that deal goes through. He might be thinking, okay, it's my last chance to see if I can put a winner together. So let me get a couple of veterans in here at the last minute. Maybe it'll help. It's all mm-hmm. I can figure. Yeah, you'd think there was some speculation that he'd be very active. A little disappointing that he wasn't and that he <laughs> he, he traded for, with his job on the line. And the Mets teetering in and out of a playoff spot. He traded for Miguel Castro, Robinson Trinos, and Todd Frazier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's I don't think that's what people were hoping for from Brody. No, I mean he's got three shortstops. Surely he yeah. could have traded one of those, right? <laughs> yeah, and gotten something a, a reliable starting pitcher so that they yeah. can move Lugo back to the bullpen, or a reliable right. reliever so they can leave Lugo in the rotation. They've they didn't address pitching, and that was bizarre. Yeah. Okay, then really minor one. Rays traded lefty Anthony Bonda, who we had at 0.8 mil to the Giants for cash considerations. Uh, Bonda had been DFA'd. He came over in the Steven Souza trade a few years back and never really put much together, had some injuries. Um, just another one of those guys that the Giants are taking advantage of, an, of specifically the Rays roster crunch. They added yeah. Daniel Robertson uh, last week, and now they pick up Bonda. 
Yeah, and that's smart. Uh, you know, they'll hopefully one of these guys, you know, turns into something. Uh, mm-hmm. I get the sense that Bonda has not been the same since he got injured, and which is why the Rays have basically given up on him. Um, but uh, and you know he's he's fallen down the value spectrum quite a bit in the last yeah. couple of years. So maybe there's still something left, and the Giants are hoping there's you know that's what they get out of it. Yeah. Hey John, the Padres picked up a couple of relievers. <laughs> uh, now we got Taylor. Do they Williams. need any relievers, Josh? <laughs> How big is their roster allowed to be? Do they? I had a running theory a couple of years back when it seemed like the Dodgers were just pulling names out of thin air. I had a running theory that MLB was letting them use like a 35-man roster and just not nobody noticed. <laughs> I'm starting to think the MLB's letting the Padres have a 20-man mm, bullpen. Yeah, they're going to use that IL deal quite a bit. Yeah. The 10-day IL is going to be a rotating. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, is it 15 now, or is it still 10? I think it's still 10. Hmm. I'm not sure. Um, so they picked up Taylor Williams from the Mariners. We had him at 1.9 mil. Uh, they got him for a player to be named later. Came out to be Matt Brash. We have him at 0.1 mil. Little bit of an underpay it looks like but williams yeah hasn't really done a whole lot <laughs> he's had um, some he's actually been pitching a little bit better lately and yeah. so um he did give up one of the grand slams to the padres i believe oh interesting yeah <laughs> you know look i mean think about this for a second so the mariners and the padres make this huge deal with austin nola as a centerpiece and then a day later make another deal I mean, they've had to have been talking about it before. So yeah. I'm thinking, well, this was just another sort of two pieces of the same deal, right? You know, they, mm-hmm. you could look at them as two discrete deals or you could just look at it all as one piece, in which case it closes the gap a little bit on the NOLA deal. Not much, but a little bit. Because yeah. um, <clears throat> I can't believe they just suddenly out of thin air decided to trade, you know, uh, relievers like this. So um, yeah. I got to think those are connected. Yeah. All right. And then the last one, <laughs> we finally made it. And I think this was actually the last one to come through. It came out like an hour after the deadline. Yeah. Shocking. Dodgers traded Ross Stripling, finally. 4.2 mm-hmm. mil to the Blue Jays for two players to be named later. Uh, one of them is Kendall Williams, and he has already been sent over. We had him at 2.6. And we do not know the second one yet, but it seems like this deal is pretty pretty evenly lined up yeah, as of now. looks fair. Looks fair. Um, so Stripling's value is really cratered because he's been pitching very badly. And mm-hmm. um, reports are he's just lost feel for his slider, which apparently which was his big pitch. Um, the Dodgers probably knew something in the offseason, which is why they were trying to trade him then. And so his value has gone down ever since. And clearly they had no spot for him anymore. And the Blue Jays needed arms. Clearly they, you know, they picked up Taiwan Walker, as you mentioned. So they're hoping they can get something out of him. It doesn't feel like it was a huge price to pay. Um, you know, the prospect they did. Well, Williams, I think it was, it was, I think, a second round draft pick in 2019. So there's something there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Dodgers will probably take that and run with it, maybe make something out of that and whoever else they get. So I mean, on paper, it's a very fair deal, it looks like. Um, and maybe both sides get something out of it. It's fine. Yeah. Blue Jay, I'm, it seems like just with the timing and everything and the reports that have come out that the Blue Jays, this was a quick pivot in the last few minutes after Musgrove fell through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a bad thing for them. I, I think overall they had a pretty solid deadline. They added some kind of buy low pieces between Stripling and Ray, where if either one of them clicks, that's huge for them. If both of them click, then they're, they're a threat in the playoffs with that lineup and it's I'm, I'm 
I'm very comfortable with, with what the Blue Jays did. I think they did pretty well for themselves. Didn't give up too much talent. They filled in their only real holes on the roster. Um, and it's, they've set themselves up well to com- to probably take a playoff spot this year and take another step forward next year, actually start contending for that AL East title. Yeah, sure. They're a year ahead of schedule, and so they figured, mm-hmm. okay, all right. They didn't give up any, any elite prospects. Yeah. You know, they just kind of traded from the bottom and, and filled some holes, as you said. So sure, why not? Um, the whole Buffalo thing is <laughs> is a curiosity, and yeah, it's it's makes make the best of it. Um, in t- and, in twenty twenty, why not the Buffalo Blue Jays? <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. I actually, uh, side note, I ordered a T shirt, and it's really cool. It's a Bo Bichette Buffalo Blue Jays T shirt because I think it would be a collector's <laughs> item someday. I love it. <laughs> I'm not a Blue Jays fan. I have I have no you know, allegiance to them whatsoever. Yeah. I kind of like their uniforms. And I think, I think this Buffalo thing is kind of cool because they fix the <laughs> stadium. I thought, okay, I'll wear that. Uh, but awesome. uh, can I just make, take a minute and take, talk about a pet peeve. So mm-hmm. um, the day after the deadline, you see a lot of articles like, who were the winners? Who were the losers? I'm going to grade this one an A. I'm going to grade this one a B. And like, I have no patience for this stuff because everybody's got different motivations. You can say, uh, the obvious is every single year. It's the obvious thing. The winners were the team that add, that added the most to their major league. You know, so the Padres yeah. are the big winner. Yeah. But, you know, you can't say that because, you know, look at the Mariners and how they built up their farm and what a great deal they got. They're not even on, on Jim Bowden's list. So like, mm. I I can't stand this. I have to say, there's no winners or losers. Everybody's making deals in their self-interest, and they're getting something out of it. So you know, I, I, I wish that whole thing would go away. And nobody's learned. Nobody's learned a thing <laughs> from how it's like. We've seen mentions of the 2015 Padres pop up in the news and everything, but the 2015 Padres they won the off season. That was Preller's first year there, and he sold the farm and everything and he brings in Justin yeah. Upton and Matt Kemp for some mm-hmm. reason and Craig mm-hmm. Kimbrell and I think that was the James Shields year. Yep. It, that didn't go too well for them. I'm pretty sure if if we had existed back then, I could almost guarantee that they would have lost the vast majority of those trades from day one. We would have had them as day overpaid. Yes, but I, I Jim Bowden would have declared them the winners. Yes, <clears throat> yes. I, I'm sure he did. Not he would have. I'm <laughs> sure he did. <laughs> yeah. And it's it. People haven't learned from that that it's not just the team that gets the most or gives up, or if they're a, a seller, the team that gives up the most. It's there's there's some complicated gray area in the middle. I think the Marlins were a winner. If if I we think have the Orioles to hand were out winners. these winners, yes, I think the yep. Orioles were winners. I mean, Too look, often, we're we're looking. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Too often it's just, okay, is this, check, box number one, is this team a buyer or a seller? Okay, they're mm-hmm. a buyer. Did they add names that I know? Okay, they won. Are they a seller? Okay, did they get, get prospect names that I know for their guys? Okay, they won. And that's it. And that's they it. don't acknowledge that there's a gray area of teams in the middle that kind of buy and sell, or there's a team like the A's that, like, it's never been their mo to make the big addition so they'll just make some fringe additions that are pretty solid or the rangers who managed to get out from i will say that it was a curious decision to hang on to lynn but they managed to move some money off the books and get a couple interesting players to be named later back and so there's just such a wide range here and it's it's almost lazy to just (laughs) the way that some of these people do it absolutely and you know they all all the gms have different strategies different goals and they all they're all value conscious but some 
will place needs ahead of value, which is what Preller mostly mm -hmm. did. Others will place value over need, which is what the Orioles are doing because they're trying to build their farm. So, um, you know, you got to hand it to them both ways. We look at it primarily from a value standpoint where that's kind of our scorecard, as we know. And so we're saying, OK, this one got the better of this deal on paper now that could change later. Uh, but but, you know, everybody's got their motivations. And even though Preller makes some curious deals, I can't blame him for wanting to save his job and make some win now deals. That's fine. And he did it by threading a needle and not adding too much salary. So kudos to him and he had access to get rid of fine so i'll give him credit for winning that even though i don't think he won on a value standpoint but i'll give other yeah. teams credit for winning the mariners in particular for taking advantage of that situation having a nose for that sort of thing and getting great value back so because mm -hmm. that fits their their strategy right now okay yeah. <laughs> gotta look at it all from all those points of view so that being said, John, who are your winners and losers of the 2020 trade deadline? <laughs> I'm going to be selfish and say we were the winners. Yes, that's a good one. We got call. almost all of them right. And um, and I'll take the one that didn't get right because it was explainable. We got them all right. And I'm just going to sort of take a moment and say, okay, you pointed it out. So for the past year, 98 trades, 93 were accepted by us. The ones that weren't were mostly color trades. The 94.9 acceptance rate, average margin of error 1.5. I just want to pat, pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> something that I don't think either of us saw coming, at least not this early, when we kind of jumped yeah. into this whole mess, this whole grand adventure that we're on now. Uh, this is year two. Year one, we dealt with a lot of growing pains, and still I think did pretty well. Mm -hmm. Year two, I think we're pretty firmly settled into what we're doing here. The numbers show that we know what we're doing here, and only good things ahead i agree so uh great stay with us yeah on that note i want to thank all of you so much for listening and for following us on twitter throughout that deadline we gained i believe somewhere between like 220 250 followers in those last couple days awesome to see uh, awesome to see new people interacting with our content. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. There's nine other episodes you can listen to of, of varying quality. Um, we've gotten better as they've gone on. Um, mm -hmm. And for everyone else, if, again, as always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. We're going to take a couple weeks off here deadline's kind of exhausting and we just want to let you guys enjoy a little baseball over the next few weeks we'll be back at the end of the season to kind of recap how things are going see see where values are standing just kind of reconvene then and so yeah i hope you guys have a great few weeks i hope you guys enjoy the baseball and thanks so much for all of the support thank you as well thanks josh thanks john